You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join him now. It's been a few weeks since we've been in 1 Thessalonians, but we are uh, going verse by verse through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And this morning we're going to look at the entirety of chapter 2. And I want us to notice two things as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to see how Paul reached them, that is how Paul reached the Thessalonians with the gospel. And then we're going to see how the Thessalonians receive the gospel. And in this, this letter that Paul writes to them, here in the beginning of the letter, he's kind of recounting his ministry among them. And he's kind of uh, defending himself against some critics who had come in and, and who were trying to undermine uh, his ministry. And because he'd just spent a short time with them and then he moved on, uh, to to Athens and then to Corinth where he spent a considerable amount of time. And because he wasn't there very long with the Thessalonians, it didn't take long for people that didn't like Paul to come in and to begin to undermine what he had taught them. And so we'll see how Paul reached them with the gospel and it's going to teach us some lessons about ministry, something that God has called each one of us to. And then we're going to see how the Thessalonians received the gospel and it's going to teach us some truths about how we receive the word and what the word of God does in our life. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 starting in verse 1 and in verses 1 through 12 and then 17 through 20 we're going to see eight truths about ministry. And the first thing is that ministry is never in vain. Look at verse 1. For you yourselves know brethren that are coming to you was not in vain, or it was not futile, it wasn't a waste of time. That Paul's ministry, albeit short, it wasn't a long time that he spent there, but it was not in vain. And I think oftentimes, one of the, the biggest enemies of, of serving God is that we think we're not doing anything, we're not accomplishing any, anything, that we're wasting our time, that nobody's listening, that nobody cares. So often people quit teaching Sunday school, or they quit serving in the church because they feel like they're, they're not doing anything. They're not accomplishing anything. There isn't any fruit from their ministry. And Paul reminds us that ministry is never in vain. No matter how little fruit that you see, no matter what you see going on, it's never in vain. In fact, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, uh, Paul says this, which is a, just a great verse for serving the Lord. One of my favorite verses, in fact, in regard to ministry. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You don't need to turn there. Verse 58. He says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. No matter what it is that you're doing, we, we need to continue on in that. No matter the, the difficulty, the hardship, the struggle, maybe the lack of fruit. And something that I want you guys to understand and something that I say all of the time is that ministry is not something that, that I alone do. It's not something that just our leaders do. It's not just what the staff of the church does Ministry is something that every one of us is called to. You've all been gifted by God. You, you all have a, a reason, a purpose, a calling in which God wants you to function in in the body of Christ. And if you think about that illustration that Paul uses, the body, 
And, and you think about the body and that every part in the body has a purpose, that nothing is in vain. And, and there's a, a part that you have to play, that, that God wants to use you in. And when you're not participating and when you're not serving and when you're not using your gifts, there is a hole that's created. And see, there's this backdoor kind of humility that, that so often we, we want to employ. And that is, well, nobody needs me. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not talented. I'm not smart. Nobody really cares. And, and it's not humility at all. What it is is it's pride. It's a, it's a focus on self. It wants to be recognized. And the fact is, is it doesn't matter if people recognize you or they give you all kinds of kudos or they tell you how, you how wonderful you are all the time. That isn't what serving Jesus is all about. Serving Jesus is taking what he's given you and recognizing that you're a steward of it, that you don't own it, that it doesn't belong to you, that you've been given this ministry and that you are now called to be faithful with it. That's what's required of a steward, Paul tells us in, in Corinthians, to be found faithful. And so the choice is yours. Am I going to be found faithful in that thing that God has given me to do? Because ministry and the calling that I have is never in vain. And you may think, well, man, my life is so messed up. I'm so far from serving the Lord. I, I, I just got to, you know, get out of bed in the morning and, and, and not screw up. Well, that's true. But God wants to mature you. And God wants to bring you to that place where you have something to give others. God wants to bring you through that. And, and he can do it in a lot shorter amount of time than you think if you allow him to. And so don't sell the grace and the power of God short in your life and allow him to mature you. Allow him to bring you to that place where you're able to use your gifts and you're able to serve and always know that it's not in vain. Whether people listen, whether anyone gets saved, whether those kids seem to be listening to you or not, it's never in vain. Your ministry to the Lord is never in vain. It's never worthless because he's watching. And he just wants you to be faithful, just like Jeremiah, who was faithful with what God gave him, even though there was zero fruit in his ministry. But he will be rewarded because he was faithful. See, God hasn't asked us to bear fruit. God hasn't asked us to have these wonderfully successful ministries. God has said, be faithful with what I've given you. And that's it. And then he'll bless it and he'll produce the fruit in his time and in his sovereign plan. Another thing we see about ministry is that ministry is difficult. Look at verse 2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. And so even after we were spitefully treated in, in Philippi, even after we had suffered, you, you know the story in, in Acts chapter 16, Paul was doing ministry there in Philippi. He was arrested. Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. They were beaten and whipped. And then God miraculously opened the prison doors and, and the, the jailer came to Christ and, and they were singing praises all night long. You, you know the story. But just after that, Paul, with fresh wounds on his back, with the marks of the beatings... The, the, the wounds, the scabs not even healed over, he heads to Thessalonica. 
Now, I think if it were me, I would have said, hey, Silas, you know, we've, we've been through a lot. I mean, we barely escaped. Why don't we head back to Jerusalem? I mean, we've, had, we, we've done enough. This is insane. You know, let's just go back and we'll heal up. And, you know, I mean, plus we got, we got battle scars. I mean, you know, maybe everybody will feel sorry for us. But that's not what he does. He says, let's keep going. And they go to Thessalonica. He doesn't let his suffering, he doesn't let his difficulty in any way deter him from what God had called him to do. And I wish this was true of me, and I wish this was true of more people in the, in the body of Christ. That when we're going through difficulty, that we do not use that as an excuse and as a reason to quit. To say, you know what? I'm done. This is too hard. I, I mean, does God really expect me to keep going on? I mean, look at my financial situation. Look at my look at my relationships. They're, they're falling apart. Things are, are are going just in the toilet. God doesn't expect me to continue to serve Him. Things are too difficult. I mean, I've been doing this for a week. Nobody has said thank you. Nobody's patted me on the back. It's just too hard. It's not worth it. And I wonder how many ministries today would continue on if we had to face the things that Paul faced. You know, these guys that are on a circuit speaking and filling up stadiums and charging huge amounts of money to come and listen to them. And I, hey, I don't begrudge them for that. But if between Los Angeles and Portland, if they just got beat like a rented mule, do you think they'd be heading off to Seattle? I wonder about that. I wonder about myself and, and that if ministry wasn't as posh and as easy as it is in, in America, would I just continue? If every day on my way to church I had to, you know, fight off people that were wanting to kill me. If it was a life and death situation. I mean, we get all freaked out because we have a hangnail. Or, or because, you know, somebody looked at us weird. Or, or because somebody said something that hurt our feelings. And, and now I'm going to leave the church. Or now I'm going to stop doing that ministry. Ministry is difficult. But Paul continued on. Because he understood the the magnitude of the message. He understood that this wasn't just something to do in his spare time, that this wasn't just something that, you know, maybe if everything went right, that, that he would be willing to do it. This was all-consuming for him, and it should be for us as well. Another thing that we learn about ministry is that ministry is to God. I want you to think about that. I think we all would say, well, yeah, of course ministry is to God, but I think our mindset and our perspective is that serving the Lord is, is for people. That really we're serving people. But ministry is, is you guys, not something that we're, we're doing for people as much as it is something that we're doing to God. It's toward God. It's Godward, if you will. As he says there in verses 3 through 6. For our exhortation, that is our teaching, our ministry among you, did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ." And so Paul says, look, my ministry was to God among you. It wasn't with impure motives. It didn't come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Our ministry was not with impure motives, Paul says. 
It was not to please men. I think too often that go about serving the Lord to please people. And when we see that we're not pleasing people or that when people aren't pleased with us, then we quit. But see, our goal, you guys, should be to please God. And as long as we're doing that in whatever we're doing in life, as long as we're pleasing God, then we ought to be content with that. And so we have to search our hearts and say, Lord, am I pleasing you? Are my actions, is my behavior, is my ministry pleasing you? Then if it is, then don't worry about what people think. And when you're criticized, take it to the Lord. Don't be arrogant and say, you know what? I'm pleasing God and that's all that matters. Get out of my face. That's, that's another problem. So we're not teachable. We should go to the Lord and say, Lord, man, that really hurt what they said. I don't think it's true, but God, search my heart. Show me. Is that true? Is, is what was said true of me? Because I don't want to think that I'm above that. I don't want to think that I'm perfect. So Lord, test my heart. Search my heart. And typically in that, God will reveal things to you. But once you've repented of that, once you've confessed that, then you just move on. And in your ministry and in life in general, you just want to please God. And, and if you're doing that, then everything else is just fine. But too often, people want to please men. And by pleasing men, then they'll use flattering words, as he says in verse 5. We didn't use flattering words because we weren't trying to please people. But if you're trying to please people, then you use flattering words. You tell people what they want to hear. And it's sad when you see that in the church. When you, when you see people who have become experts at telling you what you want to hear. And you can see right through it. Flattery is opposed to God. It doesn't mean that God wants us to be insensitive and just to say whatever comes to our mind and just to be running around half-cocked all the time. That isn't what that means. But it also doesn't mean that we become experts in buttering people up and kissing people's butts. That's not what we're called to do. It's not a godly attribute. And I mean, I, I don't have that problem. <laughs> I, I never have. You know, I grew up in a family that you just said what was on your mind. Now, the problem that I have is not saying everything that comes to my mind and, and not hurting people and not saying things in a, in a rough and insensitive way. But some people are on the other end, and maybe that's you, and you're using flattering speech, and you tell people what they want to hear, and you, and you never say challenging things to people. And that will limit your effectiveness in people's lives. It will limit your effectiveness as a parent. It will limit your effectiveness as someone that's called to make disciples. It will limit your effectiveness in the body of Christ. Flattery, it's, it's ugly. It, it comes from manipulation, desiring to manipulate people and get what you want out of them. And we all know people. We all have people like that in our lives or maybe in our families. I can think of somebody in my family who I pretty much have got to the point where I don't believe anything she says to me. It's always very nice, but I always think, come on, I've overheard you when you don't know that I'm listening. I, I've heard what you've said about people. I, I hear you run others down to me, and I know you're doing the same when I'm not the, the person that you're talking to. And so flattery, it's ugly, and it needs to, to be stricken from our life. And Paul says, my ministry was to God. I didn't have impure motives. I wasn't trying to please men. I wasn't using flatter, flattery. I didn't do it for money. He says, I wasn't serving for a cloak 
of covetousness, which is basically that, that I didn't have money as a motive for my ministry. And God is witness. And that's the bottom line. People will attack you and people will say things about you and people will come against you. But God is the witness. God is the one that will ultimately be the judge of whether or not our motives were right or whether or not we were pleasing people instead of him. And, and we can take comfort in that. He didn't seek glory from men. He says, we could have made demands of you. We were apostles, but we didn't do that. In fact, we worked night and day, he'll tell them, to, to support ourselves so that we could do ministry among you. Money was not a, an issue for Paul. That's not why he was serving the Lord. He wasn't doing it for the glory of men either. And you have to be careful of that in, in, in your service to God, is that you don't become addicted to the praise of men. And it, and it is addicting in life. Compliments. People telling you things that they appreciate about you. And, and it's human nature to want to hear that. And we all need some of that. We all need affirmation. But you can become addicted to that. Where when you're not getting it, then you're discouraged. Then you're down. You want to quit whatever it is you're doing. And it is. It's a lot like a drug. Because it will get you excited and pump you up for a, for a moment. That... That compliment, man, that was an awesome Bible study. Oh, yeah. But then when nobody says anything, oh, man, that must have stunk. Nobody said anything. I think I'm going to quit. This is horrible. And in, in ministries that, that aren't as upfront and aren't as public, you often won't hear a lot of compliments. You won't get a lot of pats on the back. And if you're looking for that, and that's why you're doing it, you won't last. And so Paul he understood that his ministry was to God. We also see in verses 7 and 8 that ministry has feminine qualities. Now, guys, don't get too worried. It has masculine qualities as well. But look at verses 7 and 8. He says, backing up into verse 6, he said, We could have made demands of you. We could have demanded things and said, We deserve this. This is our right. But he says, No, we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you became dear to us. And so Paul says, man, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother. And if you think about gentleness and compassion, there isn't anything more gentle and loving than a nursing mother. And the bond that is created between a child and a mother when they're nursing. I was stoked that Andrea nursed our kids for two reasons. One is, formula is expensive. <laughs> two is, in the middle of the night, when the kids are crying and they're hungry, hey, I can't, I can't help them. I'm incapable of giving them what they want, hon. So I know it's two in the morning, but uh, it's, it's on you. So, But nursing... There's such a bond that's created between the child and the mother. And, and that's why, you know, kids are, are almost like worthless to their dad until they're like five, you know. It's like, I mean, I know, I know your mom just walked outside to get the mail. She'll be back. Don't worry. Don't worry. She's not leaving you. And I'm not going to kill you in the process. But now my kids are starting to, you know, they, they kind of like me and it, it's, it's starting to be kind of cool. But there's this bond that's created between a mother and a child. 
And that's the bond that Paul says we had among you. And that's the kind of bond that, that we ought to have with people as we're serving them, as we're using our gifts in the body of Christ, that there's this bond that's created. And, and what I see here is compassion, a heart for people, a love for people. But it's not only these feminine traits, but it's also masculine traits. There's, there's strength involved as well. Look at verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. And so while he was there, he, he made tents, the book of Acts tells us, so that he could support himself. Because he never wanted people to think that he was trying to use the gospel and use Jesus as a way to make money. Now Paul would say time and again that a laborer, that a, a, a pastor, that a person that's involved in full-time ministry is worthy of their wages. There's no question of that scripturally. But he, he does forego that right. That's why he says, I could have made demands of you, but I didn't. He, he set aside his right. And that's something, you guys, that is very Christian. Jesus did it, right? He set aside his rights. He set aside all the glory of heaven and took on human flesh. And so it may be very democratic and it may be very American to claim your rights. And, and I'm guilty of it myself and I catch myself doing these things and, and expecting, you know, good service and expecting people to treat me with respect. That's my right. But we see with Paul and certainly with Jesus, the setting aside of rights. And Paul was willing to do that while he was there among them, making tents, laboring night and day like a father, he says. There was provision. There was protection. And, and, and like a father who, who works hard and who labors for his children, it's a masculine thing to do. But there's no expectation of being paid back. As you give to your kids and as you bless your kids, you're not thinking, you know what? Someday I'm going to get it back. You know, they're going to pay me with interest. No, you know. It's not, an in, it's not a financial investment. It certainly is an investment, an eternal investment into your kids. But it, you're not doing it because you think you're going to get paid back. And Paul was serving and working and tirelessly giving himself to them, knowing that he wasn't going to get paid back financially. You are witnesses, verse 10, and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Their character and their lifestyle was an example to them, just as a father is called to be an example to his kids. Certainly a dad is called to invest in his kids and, and to give to his kids, as Paul says here, that he labored night and day, but... There's a lot more to being a dad than just providing financially. And dads, you're called to, to be an example. That's the model that we see here that Paul is talking about in regard to ministry. But there's a huge implication here in regards to your role as a father. To be an example. That your children are watching you. And it starts at a very young age. And there comes a point, and it's probably different for every kid, but there comes a point where... The impact that you've had on them is already made. And it's going to be very difficult for you to reverse that. If you think, okay, you know what, my son's 16 now, I'm going to start to be an example to him. It's way too late. You need to start when they're young. 
Living Jesus before them. Giving them Jesus. Teaching them the word of God. Praying with them. Pointing them to Jesus. It's got to start when they're young. And they've got to see it at home. There can't be a disconnect between church and life. God can't be just a part of your life at certain times and, and not be the, the consuming focus of everything you do. Otherwise, children will recognize that it is hypocrisy, that it is just something to, to believe in like a hobby. It's a recreation, but it isn't life. It isn't real. It's not authentic. It has to, to drive everything you do, and, and you've got to be that example to your kids. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. And, and so Paul is using the father as an example that ministry has masculine traits that it's not only compassionate like a mother, but it's strong like a father. If you look down at verse 17, we'll skip the middle part and we'll come back to it. But if you look down at verse 17, we also see that ministry is about people. That it's about people. And again, that sounds real obvious. But unfortunately, ministry oftentimes becomes about everything but people. Look what he says. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. And so Paul didn't just go there and say, look, Jesus is real. You ought to believe in him. Okay, what time is it? Oh, yeah, we got to get out of here. We got things to do. You know, look, here's the gospel. You're now responsible for what you know and uh, deal with it. Okay, thank you. And, and we'll talk to you later. No, he loved these people. He had a heart for them. He, he longed to, to go back and spend time with them. And you guys, ministry is about people. And when ministry becomes about anything but people, it's a real problem. When, when ministry is about programs, or when ministry is, is about uh, the pastor. Or when ministry is about how much money can we raise. When ministry becomes about things other than just individuals, it, it, it gets way off track. Paul had a heart for people. He told the Corinthians they were written on his heart. That his heart was wide open to them. He was vulnerable to them. Guys, if you want to serve in any capacity of ministry, it has to flow from, it has to be rooted in, a deep love for people. You might say, well, it's really not, I'm just not into people that much. I, I kind of like to keep to myself and I don't really like to be around people. In fact, it's just difficult for me to even show up here at church. Hey, and I get that. But here's the thing. Christianity can be summed up in loving God and loving people. Jesus said when asked, what's the, the first and, and most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Oh yeah, okay, I can do that. I can love God. I, I want to love God. And then he said, but the second is like it. In other words, they're, they're, they're really equal. One flows into the other. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. John, in First John, devotes most of his letter to simply loving people. And he tells us in chapter 4 that the greatest opportunity we have to love God is to love people. And so a Christian who doesn't love people is an oxymoron. A Christian that doesn't have a heart for people, that doesn't want to be around people, there's a conflict there. And you need to pray and ask the Lord to give you a love that can only come from Him for people. 
as the Holy Spirit takes control of your life, one of the fruits of that will be a love for people. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, I'm pretty sure that that wasn't talking about love for dogs. Fruit of the Spirit is love for, for dogs. Or the fruit of the Spirit is, is love for ice cream. No, it's love for people. That's a fruit of the Spirit. And if you look at, at the fruits of the Spirit in the, the character traits that God wants to instill in our lives, one of the things that you notice about them in all of them is that they're born out in a community of people. You look at the fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and kindness and patience and gentleness. Those things are really difficult to, to bear in isolation. And so ministry, which again is something we're all called to do. And so this is relevant to every one of us. Ministry is about people. Another thing we see in verse 18 is that ministry is attacked by Satan. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. He longed to see them. They, he wanted to come again, time and again, but Satan hindered us. And so ministry is attacked by the enemy. And if you step up to serve God in any capacity, you will be attacked by the devil. He'll come against it. And if you don't fight against him, if you don't stand strong against the schemes of the devil, Ephesians chapter 6, and have your armor on, you will not last. Your ministry will not be effective. And listen, attacks from the enemy do not always come across as bad things. They don't always seem to be these real demonic, dark, ugly things. Sometimes attacks from the devil come in the back door as real, positive, seemingly harmless, wonderfully great opportunities that distract and derail you from God's calling in your life. And so you have to be careful. And you have to pray through things. And you have to seek the Lord. And you have to recognize, you know what? I thought this was a good thing. But it isn't a good thing. And it's distracting me. And it's taking me away from my focus. And you have to be willing to give it up. And get rid of it. I thought this was, was a thing that would help me in my walk with the Lord. But, it, but in fact, it's, it's taken me away. I thought this would advance my ministry. But it's distracted me. Ministry will be attacked by the devil. Be certain of that. And the last thing that we see about ministry is that ministry is eternal. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. What's our hope? What's our joy? What do we rejoice in? The fact that that we're going to be able to see these people in heaven. That's what ministry is all about. It's about people, and people are eternal. And that's the only thing that we're going to be able to take with us. And so if you look at your life and you notice that you're investing mainly in temporal things, you've got to reevaluate your life. Because eternity is where we want to be making our investment. Store up your treasures in heaven. And if all that we're doing is putting our efforts and our money and our time and our resources into temporal things... If that's the extent of our life, then we're going to have nothing to show for it eternally. And one way that we can make an eternal impact is in people's lives. In investing in people. Your kids, certainly. Your spouse. Your neighbors. People in your church. People at work. You can make an eternal impact in people's lives. See, too often, you guys, we settle for the mundane. We settle 
for a life that in our mind doesn't amount to a whole lot. But you know what? That's not what God has called you to. God has called you to an amazingly rich and fulfilling and eternally significant life. And anything short of that is a you problem. Ministry is eternal. It doesn't mean that ministry is always large or that it's always successful in the the eyes of people because when we think of success, we think of numbers. And it's got to be about numbers. How many people you got in your Bible study? How many kids in your Sunday school class? How many people have you led to the Lord? How many people in your church? It's not about numbers to make it eternally significant. You can make an impact on one person, and that's not mundane. That's not meaningless. Let's talk a little bit about how the Thessalonians receive the message, verses 13 to 16. True ministry, you guys, takes place when people embrace God's word. That's, that's what we see here, how the Thessalonians received it. We saw how Paul reached them, and then look how they received it. And this gives us some insight into how we ought to be receiving the word of God and how we ought to be receiving ministry. And that we ought to be coming to church and coming to Bible studies and home groups and other activities expecting God to move and to work. And true ministry takes place when people embrace God's word. The first way they received it is they simply heard it. Look at verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Paul was thankful to them because when you received the word of God which you heard from us. And so the first thing I want us to notice is that they heard God's word. They had open ears. This is the first thing that we have to have if we want to receive what the Lord has for us. is to simply have open ears. I think many of us fail in this way. We just we don't even have open ears. We show up and our, our, our ears are closed off. We, we're not even listening to the Lord. We have to pray, God, give me open ears. I want to hear. As the Bible says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Man, Lord, give me open ears that I might hear from you. We also see that they welcomed God's word. You welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And so they welcomed it. They had open minds. Sometimes people hear the word, but they don't welcome it. It's like, ah, yeah, I've heard that before. Come on, tell me something I don't already know. Or how many times do people want to go to church simply to hear something they've never heard before? How many times do people judge a message based on whether or not it's new information? Look, there's nothing new. The gospel and the word of God is, is complete. And so we're not giving you something new, but hopefully we're giving you something fresh for your life at the time. What God wants to speak to you. And if you don't have open ears and you don't have an open mind, then you won't hear it. And you won't, as he says, receive it. And that's the third thing, is that they receive the word of God. They had open hearts. They had open ears. They had an open mind to not just close it off and and discount it. And they had open hearts to receive it and to bear fruit. And we need all of those things to truly be ministered to the way that God wants us to be. And in light of that, by hearing the word, by welcoming the word, and by receiving the word, you guys, were changed by the word. As he says, which also effectively works in you who believe. And so, as you have open ears and an open mind and an open heart, then God can take his word and he can change your life. 
And so you ought to be praying that. God, change me by your word. And if you're not being changed, if you're not maturing, if you're not growing in your walk with the Lord, it's because you're not embracing the word of God. People who are mature in their relationship with Jesus are people who have received the word. And people who are immature are people who have not received the word. It's very simple. If you're not where you should be with Jesus, it's a Bible issue. It's the bottom line. You are not allowing the word of God to take root in your life. It has to start with you personally and privately as you spend time with Jesus in his word. And if this is the extent of your experience with the word of God, you will be stunted in your growth. And we all look to people and we think, man, I'd like to be like that person. They're, they're so amazing. They seem to have such a, a great relationship with Jesus. I, I want to be like that person. And I can guarantee you that they are people of the word. And that's why we place such an emphasis on God's word here. Because you guys, we want the word of God to take root in your life so that fruit will abound. So that you'll be changed. And if there's issues in your life that you want changed... If there's things in your life that you want to get rid of or if there's things in your life that you need to be doing, it will come as you respond to the word of God. Begin to respond to God's word. You can't just come here week after week and hear the word but not do it. You've got to receive it as it is. Truth. This isn't my word, you guys. These aren't opinions. I try very hard to stay away from opinion. Because I don't want you to leave here going, you know what, I can take or leave that. And hopefully if I give you an opinion, it will be a very small percentage of what we're talking about here. Because I want you to walk out those doors today and I want you to say, this isn't Ryan's word. This isn't Calvary Chapel's opinion. This is the word of God. And so if I reject it, I'm rejecting Jesus. Not Ryan, not the church. I'm rejecting Jesus. If you want to grow, embrace God's word. Become a student of the word. Become a lover of God's word. Pray that God gives you a hunger for his word. And watch your life grow and change. And watch your life become more and more like Jesus. And the last thing that we see, verses 14 to 16, is that they endured because of God's word. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And basically what Paul is saying is you were persecuted just like we were. When we left you guys... We got ran out of town by these crazy religious zealots, these Jews that were jealous of our ministry among you, and we left you, and you were persecuted just the same. But they continued on. And the reason they continued on is because their relationship with Jesus was built on the Word of God. That it wasn't like, oh, an emotional experience. Wasn't that wonderful? An amazing message. And and I responded to it, but I really didn't believe it. No, they responded to the word of God. They were captured by the love of Christ. Just as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Look, don't build your house 
on the sand. Remember that song in Sunday school? Don't build your house on a sandy land. Don't build it too near the shore. Well, it might look nice, but you'll have to build it twice. You'll have to build your house once more. You know. Don't build your house on the sand. Because when the wind and the rain and the storms come, you'll have no foundation and your house will be blown over. And the illustration is, don't build your house on emotion. Don't build your spiritual life on opinion. Because when difficulties and trials and struggles come, like you're facing right now, your house will collapse. Your relationship with Jesus will fall apart because it's not rooted in the word of God that never changes. Jesus said, build your house on the rock, the rock of his word, the rock that is Christ. That way, when the storms come, nothing can compromise that foundation. And so what's your life rooted in? What's your relationship with Jesus rooted in? Is it rooted in somebody else? Is it rooted in the fact that that somebody compelled you to believe, but you've really never made that commitment to Jesus personally? Well, there's no wonder that there's no growth, that there's no maturity, that there's no endurance, that you're like a boat tossed in the sea, that it's like a roller coaster ride, that, oh man, when things are going great, I'm on top of the world, this is awesome. Oh man, we just took a nosedive. This stinks. Jesus isn't what he said he was. I hate it. I quit. It's not working out. But when your life is rooted in the word, there's none of this. There's no being tossed. It's just rock solid, rooted in the unchanging word of God. And that's what God wants to do in your life. It's your choice. So I'm going to invite the worship band to come up, close us. People will be up here to pray with you. I encourage you to take advantage of that. Remember, uh, we have sign up and registration for the marriage conference. Don't forget tonight, 6 o'clock, the uh, Welcome to Calvary night. It's going to be a great time. Why don't we stand together? Ask God to to make these truths come alive in your heart this morning. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. If you would like to write to us or contribute to this ministry, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Or you may log on to our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com. Thank you for listening and God bless.